You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. All right. Let me, hey, there's a, there's a wreath on the, on the pulpit today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever you guys like. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Sarah, there's a wreath on there. She's like, yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, good morning. I'm Matt. I'm one of our pastors and elders here at Grace. Uh, if I haven't met you, it's nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. We are, I don't know why I brought my keys up here. I plan on staying. <clears throat> Get away, right? Yeah, I'm done. I'm out. Um, okay, well, welcome. It's good to be here. Jason, I haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you, brother. Um, so, so Advent, we're, we're starting a new series, okay, and it's our Advent series, and before we do that, I put this slide here so I'd remind, to, or remind you guys, thank you, um, be sure and be at this, this is next Friday night, 7 o'clock, this is going to be great, the kids have put in so much work, and to fill this place would be just a tremendous um, encouragement to them, and I guarantee this will bring joy to your souls, so this will be good for you, so come on out to this. Um, Okay, we are starting, we're kicking off our Advent series today, and the one thing that we as a staff, elders, actually many of you, so I'm going to speak for all of us now, um, Advent is a time that we really want to make sure Jesus is the center of all that we do here. And so um, we're going to be really busy with Advent Conspiracy this next week, or the the following week, and there's a lot of great stuff we're going to be doing, but it's important that Jesus stays at the center of that in your homes, and, and so that's why we press in on Advent. So um, <clears throat> even today, I invite, come, let's adore, let's adore Jesus together this morning. Thanksgiving's over. You can turn your Christmas music up as loud as you want now. These guys were playing it three weeks ago out here, and I, I mean, they, they were accusing me of hating Christmas. I don't hate Christmas. I just thought it was a little much, you know, the second week in November, but that was me. That was kind of a me issue, and I'm, it's okay. Um, I work on stuff like that, but uh, now, yeah, let, let it go. I've always loved Christmas. Um, <clears throat> I, I have two, I, well, one brother's with the Lord, and one's still here, but had two brothers growing up, and um, man, when we got out of school for those two weeks, we just, there was just anticipation, excitement, and, you know, grandma's going to send a package from Kansas City, who knows what's going to be in there, um, just, just a lot of great things. I just remember really enjoying Christmas, and as a kid, Christmas Eve, man, that was like enchanting, right? I mean, me and my brothers, we'd be under that tree, because our tradition was that you could open one gift, so you had to choose wisely, because, I mean, I've made the wrong choice before, and I've pulled out the, the sheep that was made out of socks by an ant in Kansas, and I'm just like, oh! And they're playing with their trucks, and I got this sheep. I'm like, uh, okay. So you have to choose wisely, because there's no take-backs either. Mom's like, that's it. So, um, but, but the one thing that was really hard is mom always used to want to read the Christmas story before we could open anything. Okay, and, and when, yesterday, when I was unloading boxes, this is the actual book that she would read from. This was, some of you might have this. This is like 1940s. Um, this was given to my, my mother in 1948. Uh, she was born in 42, I think, from good old Aunt Mildred. Anybody named Mildred in here? It's a lost art, that name. But uh, 
But yeah, I found this book, and, and, and it was really cool. And actually, as I was looking through it yesterday, I realized theologically, well, I don't know that shepherds were that majestic, but, but theologically, I mean, they're in the temple with Simeon, the spirit, the doves there. I mean, it's really, really awesome. Like, man, this is great. But back then, I mean, it was torture. And, and I'm looking, I'm like, it's only a few pages, but for us, it seemed like an eternity because our, we just wanted to get into those gifts. That's where our treasure was. It was in those shiny little, little packages. But mom's treasure was always somewhere else. And it would be years before I would see what she saw. The fact that God came in the most strange, unique way as a child in order to make what's, what's impossible for us possible. God would send his son into time and space and, and uh, rescue us from the sin that alienated us from him. And he would offer us a lasting hope. And, and that's what she saw. And, and really, that's the heart of Christmas. And with all, the, with all the parties and the smells and bells and everything, and those are great, I love all of, all of that, but sometimes we lose the, the, the vision, the, the fact that Christmas is ultimately a rescue story. It's God stepping into the, our world, our broken, sinful, fallen world, and rescuing us out of it. Because if he doesn't come, Man, there's no lasting hope for us. There's no, there's no peace on earth. And there's no future. And so our title is for this series is Hope is Born. And we're going to spend the next <clears throat> excuse me, few weeks uh, talking about the characters and kind of the events that surround this incredible story of the incarnation, God with us. And today I'm going to look at the prophet John, John the Baptist, as many know him as. And, and I'm going to move us away from the, from the cradle some 30 years later, and we're going to see this incredible statement that John makes about Jesus, the one who showed up in that cradle. Now, you, you guys remember John, right? He's Zachariah and Elizabeth's kid. He was, Zachariah was in the temple there. You can read about it in Luke 1, and, and he's ministering before the Lord, and the angel Gabriel shows up, a rare appearance from old Gabriel, and, and he says, hey, you're going to have a son, and, and anyway, it's a whole scene. Zachariah, he, he can't talk, and you have to read about it. We don't have time, or we'd be here for hours, but bottom line is, he says, you and your wife that are too old to physically have kids, no, no, you're going to have a kid, and, and, and not just any child. This is what your child's going to be like. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Matter of fact, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's who Zechariah is. And, and the Lord, hundreds of years before, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said this, there's going to be one coming who's he's, he's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is that voice that Isaiah was speaking of. John is the voice. And so when Mary is, becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit, remember, she goes down to Elizabeth's house. And you remember what happens to John. He's so chock full of the spirit, even in utero. Where's Sean? That was for you, buddy. He's, he's a male nurse. He loves the turn. He, he said, yeah, I hope you say in utero. I did. So, so, John, so John, he jumps because the Messiah is there. And the Holy Spirit, remember, he's a very active member of the Trinity. And I love that about him. And so he's moving, and, and, and God is doing something great here. And so 
This is the John I want us to see. Some 30 years later, as he looks back, he looks at Jesus, and he makes a claim about him, the one who showed up in the most unusual ways. Now, in the months prior to Jesus' ministry, there was a very unusual upsurge in, in spiritual concern among the Jewish people, and it focused on John, excuse me, who was out in the desert preaching. And, and this was a bit striking because for the past 400 years, there was, there was kind of this national spiritual decline going on, and, and, and the voice of God in prophecy seems like it was silent. And, but then here's John, and he's appointed by God, he's filled with the Spirit of God, and he's got this message about sin and about repentance and cleansing. And it's a message that touched the heart of a cross-section of this entire Jewish society. All these people were coming out to him. And it's, it's important for us to understand that in the Jewish mind, repentance always meant turning from your sin and turning towards God. It was always associated with blessing. And so even though repentance, um, they were repenting from sins, they, they were, it, was, it, was, it was moving them towards something greater. So um, it was moving them towards self-preservation rather than self-harm. Okay, they were repenting, they were turning to God and hoping that God would come and restore. And so in the scriptures, according to John, repentance is always a life-saving measure. Turn to the Lord. And the message of John reminds us that this turning is only possible because God has done something ahead of time for us. God is preparing a way through his prophet, and, and we know that Advent reminds us that, that God not, not only sent a word to us, but he enfleshed the word, and we know that word to be Jesus. And so listen to what John says when he sees Jesus coming towards him on the shores of the river there after he's been baptizing people. John the apostle writes about this. He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, some of your translations, behold, the Lamb of God, Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And then he recounts what he'd been telling the people who were sent out to him asking, John, what are you doing out here? What's, what's going on? He says, look, this is the one that I meant when I said a man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John goes on and talks about, you know, the Holy Spirit. God told me the Spirit was going to come down, and, and whoever I saw the Spirit remain on, that's him. And so John's like, you see that man over there? That's the Lamb of God. And the reason he was so excited about it, behold, look at him, take him in, don't miss him, is because Israel had been looking for this person for centuries. Ever since sin had entered the world with all of its, all of its pain and death and destruction and disease and deception, the, the scriptures spoke of one who would come. And so these people were waiting for the promised one. There was great anticipation. John, John, are you the one? Are you the one? No, I'm not the one. He's the one. And so John's saying, the wait's over. He's here. That's the Lamb of God. And so for us, in order to appreciate this Lamb of God statement, we need to, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of, of God's word. 
Okay, and we need to remember that, that um, in the garden, remember the story, Adam and Eve, they're there, perfect fellowship with God. They, they sin, they, they decide to, in and of themselves, being deceived by the enemy, that, that God is not to be trusted, right? God is not to be valued over and above everything else. And they found themselves exposed in this shameful way. Remember, they were naked. And so what do they do? They try and fix the problem. They grab some fig leaves, right? Start sewing them together. You guys remember the story? They're, they're sewing fig leaves together. They realized that they were exposed. When they were connected with God, they were whole, they were flourishing, they were secure in their identity. But apart from him, they were empty. There was something wrong. They were, they were lacking. They couldn't sustain themselves. They were inadequate. They were trying to remedy the problem, and it wasn't going well. The problem was that their attempt to cover their sin was inadequate. It was unacceptable to God. And from the very beginning, humanity's attempt to address the problem of sin has always been inadequate. We've come up with all kinds of ways. So God steps in. Remember the story, he slays an animal, he covers them. Blood is shed. What's that all about? doesn't say. It's just they're covered. And so God chose to do this. And so he wouldn't accept their covering. He would only accept the covering that he provided for them. And later, remember Cain and Abel, their kids, they both offer sacrifices to God. God accepts the one and rejects the other. Why? Because what we learned from Adam in this whole story, one of the many things is God determines what is acceptable to him, not us. And this, this eventually leads, if you read the Bible, to this whole Old Testament sacrificial system where, where, where God set up a system in which his righteous judgment against, or his righteous wrath, really, against sin and judgment would be temporarily assuaged or, or covered or passed over the sins of the people. Sin was so destructive to the creation of God I mean, it was devastating. It, it resulted in death rather than life. It was such a front to God's authority who created everything. Couldn't be overlooked. Had to be dealt with. Had to be atoned for. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, we read. So to watch something die in your place, to bleed out, because of what you did or the way you think and your sin that causes wickedness. It's, I mean, we should, they should shudder at that. To feel the weight, to tremble at the offense. He didn't die. That's on me. We read on in the Genesis account. We come to Genesis 22, and there's the story where God tests Abraham. You guys remember this story? Remember in Genesis 12, God calls Abram out. He says, Abram, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. All the people and families of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. He didn't do anything to deserve this. God chose him and called him, and Abraham believed him, and he followed him. He said, okay. And, and him and Sarah, remember, they were too old to have kids, and God told Abraham, hey, you're gonna have a child, and Sarah, Sarah starts laughing, remember? She's busting up, and then boom, she's pregnant, and all of a sudden, God's laughing, right? I mean, listen, God always gets the last laugh, but, um, but they, named him, they named him laughter, basically, Isaac, right? And he was the son of promise. He was the one that this blessing was, yes, we're gonna have a child, okay, and then he's gonna have kids, and yes, God's gonna do this great thing. Through me, through my seed, through my family. And then in Genesis 22, God 
comes up to Abraham and he, say, he, he speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, the son of promise, up to the top of that hill and I want you to sacrifice him. Unthinkable. And all we read is Abraham, Abraham, gathering the wood. And all of a sudden, him and his boy are walking up this hill and you remember the story, Isaac, he looks up at his dad, he's like, hey dad, you know, we, we got the wood, we got the fire, but, but where's the lamb? I don't know what was going on in that father's head. I'm a dad. I mean, and I just, it's heavy. And, and Abraham looks at his boy and he says, God will provide the lamb. And he gets him up there. He's got his kid strapped to this altar. He's got a knife raised. He's going to kill him. And the angel of the Lord shows up and he says, wait, wait, wait. Now I know that you are faithful and that you trust the Lord. And there was a ram over in the thicket. And so God provided a substitute for Abraham, the man. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. It's an amazing, amazing story. And so we learn from Abraham that God graciously provides those who trust in him, provides for those who trust in him. And we keep following the story and we come to Exodus. And you guys remember the story of Exodus, right? I mean, this is the Passover, right? This is God's people been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And God's gonna show up and, and, and wield his unequaled power to the pharaohs and the so-called gods of Egypt. And he's gonna lead his people out and he's gonna do three things for his people. Here's what he's gonna do. The first thing, he's gonna give his people a new beginning. He starts telling Moses and Aaron that, that this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of, of your year. Now we read that, we're like, yeah, what's the big deal about that? They never had months. They were slaves. They never had Thanksgiving weekend. They were, they were abused. They didn't have wheat breaks. They were slaves. They didn't have days. The hours ran into days. Days ran into years. But God said, I'm going to give you a new beginning. And then he said, I'm going to give you a new freedom. Right? Because these people had, were under harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And he says, I'm going to give you a new freedom. Slavery and oppression is all these people had ever known. They were born into it. They were conceived in slavery. Right? Their great, 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 great grandparents were slaves. And so it's what they knew. And so later, this is interesting because later when they're out in the desert, when God finally leads them out, we see them grumbling and looking back at Egypt and there's, there's somehow there's a little comfort even in that. They're so entrenched in it. And we get that because sometimes it's easier to remain in the bondage that we know than to follow a God that we can't fully see. We understand that. But God breaks in and he breaks them out. And in... And they're all excited and they follow. They decide, yes, we're going to go for it. So maybe for the first time ever, their, their moms, the moms and dads are thinking, man, our, our children can actually become something. Right? There's this hope. There's this new freedom that God gives them. And then he gives them this new forgiveness. And this is where it gets really heavy because God told the Pharaoh, let my people go. It's time. They're out of there. Pharaoh's like, nah. God's like, you shouldn't have said that. And so God says, that he's going to send this death angel. He's going to pass over, pass through Egypt, and he's going to strike down every firstborn, and he will be, bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord, he says. And so this first plague is going to, it's going to be, or this last plague is going to be heavy. 
And then, he, and then he goes on and he says to Moses, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a lamb, one for every family. And I want, at twilight, you're t- and this lamb has to be perfect, no blemish. One-year-old male spotless lamb. You bring this lamb, and at twilight, you, you, you slay the lamb. And you prepare this Passover meal, and you tuck your, your clothes while you're eating it. You, you tuck it in, you tuck your, well, you gird up your loins is what you do. You guys know what that means? I say that to my kids, and my, my sons are like, eesh, dad, that's gross. I'm like, that's not your loins, dude, relax. These guys, I don't know where they get this. I'm only hanging around with Sean. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, anyway, the whole idea was that, hey, we're, we're ready to go. We're going to eat this meal. God's actually going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to lead them out. And so prepare this lamb, eat it, and then take some of the blood from the lamb and put it on your doorpost and over the, the top of your door. And so when you do that, I will pass over you when I inflict the punishment on these Egyptians and their, their so-called gods. God is telling them, if you're to live tonight, then a lamb needs to die. And the Israelites needed the provision that only God could determine and God could supply. And so after they had been delivered from Egypt, the Lord, years uh, down the road, he compelled Joshua to say things like this, throw away your gods, your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. These people too were complicit in idolatry and not valuing God the way that he should be valued. You don't live in Egypt for 400 years and not pick up some of the culture, right? We understand that. It happens, it's in us, it's in them. They were born into this. Maybe there is something to this frog god. Let's, let's sacrifice to him. Maybe there is something to the sun god. All these gods in Egypt, they all promised one thing, life. And so you'd sacrifice to, to the god of, 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 the, of the harvest so that maybe he would provide for that, or you'd sacrifice to the god of fertility so you could have kids and, and, and your family could keep going. But all of those gods, all the people were looking to those gods for life. And the Israelites, too, looked for life in the wrong place. They, too, had sins that needed to be forgiven. They needed to be saved from the wrath of God. And without the blood of the Lamb covering them, they, too, would have no future for their hope, or no, no future, no hope, and never experience the true life that God offered them. And the blood on the door wasn't for, wasn't for God. It wasn't like, hey, you know, I can't tell who's, he's God. It was for them. It says the blood will be a sign for you. It was a very visceral sign that that we live tonight because something died in our place. We're alive tonight because the blood of the lamb is on our door. So God provided a substitute for the families he was calling out. God was with them, he was for them, he gave them a new forgiveness. And although this story is a historical fact, Moses points to something even greater. And I would say this, the unblemished Passover lamb of Exodus points us to an even greater reality. And so later we follow the story. Now there's this nation of Israel and on the day of atonement, once a year the high priest would go in and make sacrifice for the sins of the people. So in Abraham, we see God providing for, for a person. And in Exodus, God's providing for these families. And in, in, in the Day of Atonement, God's providing for a nation, but it wasn't enough. And you're thinking, what do you mean it wasn't enough? There's blood everywhere, I know. But it was not enough. In the Old Testament, God came up with a plan to avert his wrath on a temporary basis. And, and this was through either slaying a lamb or another kind of animal 
that would be a substitute for the people and their sins. Now, these sacrifices never fix the problem, and that's why Hebrews says this. The sacrifices were an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. They have no power. There's no power there. And so the Old Testament system looked forward to a day when God would provide an acceptable, effectual sacrifice. Listen, this is heavy. Sin is not easily removed. We don't, uh, we've got a very anemic view of what sin is in our world today. Um, It's the nasty things we say, it's the guy you flipped off last week. You are having a moment. Um, it's the way that we uh, gossip about our coworkers or people you work with at the church, whatever. All of us, we, we're, we all know what that's about. But sin is horrifying. Sin is the reason why nations enslave other nations. Sin is why our streets are full of blood. Sin is why uh, you got cars in Kenosha driving through parades, killing people. That, that's all, that, that's, that's in us, that's, that's sin. It's why, it's why our brother Chris died. Essentially, sin entered this world. R- Romans 8 tells us that the whole creation groans to be liberated from the sin That's why we have sickness and disease. It's not something light. Sin is not easily removed. And we don't understand the gravity of our sin because it's all we've ever known. And scripture tells us that, listen, you're born in sin. You were conceived in sin. You were born into a fallen world. The only thing we've ever known apart from God God in Christ is sin. In our society, it drinks it down like it's water. Look around. Apart from God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in Christ, uh, we don't realize how much we've sinned the same way a fish doesn't know how wet it is, right? Because it's just in it. We've always, it's all we've ever known. And when scripture tells us how sinful we are, many of us look at that and say, I don't want to hear that, Matt. Or some of us say, I don't even want, I, I don't believe it. And I'm like, really, did you teach your kid to lie? Did you teach your child to steal, to be deceptive? I mean, I see it in my granddaughters, and they're young. And like, mine, you're coming up with systems to, you know, mess over the other ones so they can have what they want. There's a selfishness there. Now, again, I haven't called it sin yet, Kate, easy. But, but it's, you know, it's in us. It's in us. And we sin because we're sinful. It's not the other way around. And it's a condition that we have no remedy for. And we don't like hearing about it the same way I don't like hearing about my brother's cancer. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. But if we don't listen, we don't hear it, we'll never come to the remedy for that. And I think the reason we really don't realize how horrifying our sin is is because we don't understand who God is. We, we, we lost the fact of who, who, who our God is. So all sin is ultimately an, an affront to him. We're talking about God here the one who sustains all things by the word of his power, the one who created out of nothing everything we have, 
the one who calls forth the starry host to come forward, and they do, and he hangs them in place, and they, they, they just do his bidding. He says to the mountains, rise, and the valleys be made low, and they do that. He goes to the ocean that's just this raging sea, and he says, here's the boundaries, go no further, and the waves just adore him and sit there. And he comes to us, those created in his very image, and we say, nah. I'm good, I don't need you, I, I don't want you in my life, I don't even believe in you anymore. And it's wicked, and it's evil. And we don't see it, because we're so steeped in our culture. And so Paul says, listen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress their, the truth in their wickedness. It's like we're holding a beach ball underwater, right? We know it's true, but here's the scary thing. The longer you do that, the better you get at it. And since what may be known about God is plain to humanity, because God has made it plain, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, uh, have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made, so that people are without excuse. You hear people, I don't believe in God. I believe that. I think they do. I think they're doing this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave, gave, gave thanks to him, but in their thinking, they became futile. Your mind is one of the, one of the most horrifying ways that sin works. It, it literally affects our minds the way we think about things, the way we see things, which is why in Scripture, Paul's gonna say when we get saved, man, renew your mind. Put on the mind of Christ. Sin has so corrupted you that, that we look at the world differently, and he says, I wanna fix that. I wanna show you what's really valuable. And they become foolish and darkened. They claimed to be wise and came fools. And here's the kicker. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made, to be, made like mortal humans and birds and animals ripped in trinkets. It's like me standing in front of Niagara Falls with a squirt gun say, hey, check out the squirt gun. And you've got Niagara Falls. It's, it's ridiculous. And they become filled with every kind of wickedness, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder. Now, now look at this. In this list of sin, there's murder and there's gossips. And you're like, what? There's God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and there's, you know, those kids that disobey their parents. And we look at that like, what is he talking about? Why is that? Because our minds are so twisted. We don't understand the beauty of the family, how God put it together, how, how harmonious it, it was made to be. So we think of sin in weird categories. God thinks of him in these categories. And they have no understanding. And so although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they applaud, they approve, and all those who practice them. This is the condition of all of us apart from Christ. All people are under the wrath of God apart from Christ to suppress the truth about God because we don't want, to, we don't want it to be so. We, we want to be our own gods. We want to make God in our own image. Could you imagine if you took your kid to your parents this, this Christmas and, and your mom had been working on this gift and, and she just knows this is exactly what little Joey wants and she gives it to Joey and Joey's like, oh, thanks, Grandma, opens it up. It's like, yes, this is what I want. Spits in Grandma's face and says, let's get out of here, Mom. That's nothing compared to the way we treat God when we exchange his glory for these trinkets. We should tremble. We really should tremble at our sin.
because all sin is ultimately against God's. We, we don't revere his holiness. We aren't grateful for his graciousness. The person and presence of God is not loved and cherished. That's what sin does. So all sin is against God, the giver of life. Now some of you are like, dang, Matt, I thought we were talking about Christmas. We are, as adults, okay? And because unless we see the depth and the, the weight and, and the, the, horrid, the, the horrifying uh, effects of our sin, we will never be able to really appreciate the, the gift and, and the remedy that God provides for us in Christ. Now listen, despite our rebellion, despite exchanging the glory of God for trinkets, despite all that, God, if, if I was God, I would have written all y'all off long ago. But thank God that I'm not God because he kept coming. In his grace and his mercy, he kept coming toward us. In his, in his relentless pursuit of the rebels, man, faithful to his word, faithful to his promises that he made. There's this great word in the Hebrew, it's hesed. It's this, this covenant-keeping love that, that God keeps coming toward us, toward his people, ultimately fulfilling his word. His, his word. And in that manger that night, Jesus came as God's chosen lamb, the Lamb of God who came to remove the sin of the world and bring us back to himself. And so, so John says, behold, it's the Lamb of God. He, he's God's Lamb. He's not, he's not the Lamb you came up with. He's not the Lamb I came up with. He's God's Lamb. And God provided the remedy for our sin that resulted in our death and separation from him. God is the standard by which he determines what is acceptable to him. And so Paul writes that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed for us. The lamb of God, God's provision to take away the substitutionary atonement. We get his righteousness, he takes our sin. The lamb of God who takes away the sin, all of it, of the world, anyone, any place, anywhere can call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. His, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God is so effective that, that, that it, it addresses every sin of every person that has ever walked the face of this earth. And I, I, man, I pray the Holy Spirit would drive that deep into our souls, that we would see it, that we would see him, that we would understand the preciousness of his sacrifice. Paul says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He was the Lamb of God who met the demand of God because he met the standard of God. Remember, this Lamb had to be perfect, and so we see Jesus tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. He was sinless. And remember what John says, or what Isaiah said, prepare the way for the Lord. God's coming, that's L-O-R-D. That, that's Yahweh in the Old Testament. We know Jesus is the second person of the triune God. God is, it showed up incarnate. He had to be holy, perfect, blameless. But to be, to, to, to qualify, to be the perfect sacrifice, he also had to be human. And so we see that Jesus was fully human in every way so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Fully God, fully man, perfect, sinless, holy. And so because of that, by our faith, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And then he looks back at all the other sacrifices, the author of Hebrews, and he says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament was the shadow. Jesus Christ is the substance. They all pointed to him. And so we say this, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for all who believe. And you're like, wait a second, Matt, you just added something to that. What's, what's the believe part? Well, I didn't add it, John did. Remember John, John 3:16. You guys know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then later, um, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. And then in 336, or 35 and 36, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life. Why? Because God's wrath remains on them. Listen to this one closely. Apart from the Lamb of God, the wrath of God is on you. It's on all of us, apart from God's provision. The only reason that a person is not reconciled to God, the only reason that a person is not a child of God, and the only reason a person doesn't enter into the eternal presence of God isn't because of their sin. God already did something for your sin. He already took care of the sin problem. The only reason is that you reject his provision. You reject Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And if you do that, John says, the wrath of God remains on you. A stern word for us. But let me tell you about the greatest gift. Oh, am I gonna fall off the stage? Thanks, brother. <laughs> okay, we're getting excited. This is, listen, I got the greatest gift imaginable. Here it is, we're gonna wrap up with this. Romans 3. This might be the clearest gospel kind of center in the, in the scriptures. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. And all are justified freely by his grace through, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. I like the ESV better on this one. In his divine forbearance, he had passed over. There it is, former sins. Now watch this. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so he would be just and the one who justifies. What is he talking about? People look at God and, and they could accuse him, how did you let all those sins go by? How did you let the years of murder, the, 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 the rapes, the rebellion, all those sins, you just passed, you just looked over those like it was no big deal? You're not just? He says, no, no, I am just. That's my son. I put it on him, and he took it for you. No, penalty's been paid. So he is just and the one who justifies. You see what he's saying there? We are just, that's a legal term. I'm guilty, and he says, no, by faith in Christ, by my grace, you, you, you are innocent. He's guilty. But I wanna somehow earn that. You better not earn it, because when you start earning, that's wage, and you could never pay for what the Son of God has done for you. So it's received by grace through faith. And he did this 
to demonstrate his righteousness. It's an amazing, amazing truth. And this is why Christmas is so great. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because Christ has come. He's come to rescue and to restore and to give us, give us three things. Here, here they are. Number one, in Christ we have a new beginning. Right, worship team's coming up here, I think. The old is gone, the new has come. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We have a new beginning. Okay, we don't have to be defined by our past anymore. We've been forgiven. God has given us a new beginning. All those in Christ have that. The second thing we have is a new freedom. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You don't have to live enchained. One thing the enemy loves to do is he loves to take our sin and, and I, I think bring it into the throne room of God and say, look, you call Sarah? You see what she pulled last week? And he says, you see my son? Over. We have a new freedom and then we have a new forgiveness. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our hope was born in that manger, the Savior of the world. He was the Lamb of God who takes away all the sin of the world. And the invitation for you is if you already know that, celebrate that, treasure that, and press into that this Advent season. Worship him for that. And if you have never known him like that, now receive the Lamb of God today. Receive him as a sacrifice for your sins. You'll experience a new beginning, a new freedom, and a new forgiveness in Christ. Let's sing about that. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.